What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If... Gargantuan edition. It's just a tease. What's like coming tease. up? Touche. <laughs> Touche. Uh, that, my friends, is uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University. How are you, sir? Historian of science. Uh, historian of science until they. If I get that correct. Tell me to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, life is pretty good. <laughs> no complaints. Who would the they be? Who's the ruling ruling authority on uh, the Illuminati? Uh, generally, um, they have a deep concern with um, oh yeah history <laughs> of science and are constantly telling us what projects to do. It's weird. You just walk into your office and the lights are off, and there's some shadowy figure in the corner. Hand you some archive some material. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, that's almost worth the price of getting kicked out. I don't know. Just to see. Just to see what. Also with us, as always, is uh, virologist Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. How are you? I am good. Yesterday, I both, I successfully navigated two uh, really, really difficult tasks. Um, having a meeting with my thesis advisor, mm. and also dealing with my cat peeing on my jeans. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I think I'm a little bit of a hero. I gave myself a cookie nice. at the end of the day. <laughs> I was like, okay, you've made it. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Illuminati, cat pee. I think I maybe have, like, the, the harder. Yeah, I think, <laughs> no. I think you're probably right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, this uh, Illuminati pee. The scent doesn't last as long. <laughs> well, you know, they have to vanish back into the That's right. Mists. That's right. That's so, right. That's right. you know, the pyramids, they don't smell so bad, you know, with the eyeball on over the top of them. And anyway, I'm really going off the deep end here. Um, uh, well, kudos to your cat also for, uh, you know, just making a statement, whatever it was. Yeah, she yeah, did. Exactly yeah, I guess I really, like, made yeah. too many baby noises at her. Yeah, called her a weird nickname that she didn't like. It's like I'm peeing on her pants now. Yeah. I just got to do it. You could tell her that can go two ways too. You know, there's nothing stopping you from retaliating in the same way. Assert my dominance and pee in her little Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she she could be saying she wants her own podcast or she wants to be. You know, we'll have her on if she wants to be a guest. We're happy to have her on. Either mm-hmm. guest. Yeah, that's, that's what it takes. Yeah, you know, it's like Some, get her by the microphone. Uh, others, people, other people we've gotten on the show have done more desperate things than that. So, to get on, what they <laughs> have, you know, so. um, well, very exciting, very, very, uh, very cool topic today. Um, it uh, ripped from the headlines, as is our new, uh, uh, not not a new method, but something we've done in the past. But sort of, I've really been doing it more and more. I'm really enjoying. Keeping up uh, with this, I, you know, I keep up with the science news anyway. But then, the fact that I have to do it, <laughs> have to, I, I enjoy doing it. But uh, to find more ifs is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, 
I, I basically now read, you know, I read all science news stories looking for a way to completely distort it out of, uh, completely out of whack. Um, actually, uh, Matt, why don't you, would you explain what, what is it, what, suppose you, you found a, like we found a news story mm -hmm. and uh, what, what does this show do? What horrible mistreatment does this well, show Well, so the news us? story usually restricts itself to what is true. Um, and we're dissatisfied yes. with that. Um, we want to, to change what <laughs> truth means and shape reality to fit our whims. Uh, so usually the news story suggests something um, uh, beyond what is actually there. And we say, well, you know, what if this story that they're talking about here also applied to something slightly different or something totally different? Uh, and then we run with it. Um, and as we explore the consequences of that, we end up understanding the original story a little bit better. Yeah, that's true. It does. We do wind our way back to facts. The ultimate, the ultimate uh, goal, the ultimate, the boon, the gift, the reward mm. that comes out of this uh, hero's journey we go on is that um, by, by playing with the story, by imagining, by extrapolating, by doing whatever, whatever stuff we're going to do now, we, we, we learn more about science uh, in, in a fun way. So um, this, uh, today's if, comes from um, a really cool story in the, uh, the trilobites section of the New York Times. That's their, part of their science section. But uh, they have this series called Trilobites. I don't know exactly what defines whether a story falls into the trilobite section or, or other things. I guess it's biological, biology-oriented or evolution. Hmm. What was that, Matt? I was, uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of the fact that they call it the trilobite section. Crawls along the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, it's extinct. trilobites. Segmented body. No, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Old. Old. Um, <laughs> but uh, this... this yeah, this story that we are going to pull an if from um, has a beautiful photograph of a whale uh, kind of diving under the water, a huge whale with a very tiny, by comparison, diver kind of floating nearby for scale. And uh, the headline is, uh, Unlocking the Genes That Made Whales into Giants. Uh, the subheading there is uh, the submarine size ocean creatures were not always behemoths, which is interesting. Now, a new study has found that the secret to a whale's size may be in its genes. Ah, different kind of genes than uh, Gabby, your, uh, your cat peed on. Um, <laughs> G-E-N-E-S. Uh, this is an article. I'll just read, just read a, little, a, little, a little bit here, a little excerpt. Uh, the article is by uh, Darren uh, Incorvaya, correctly, uh, it's from the New York Times. Uh, this was back on January 19th. And um, Darren writes, with names like Titanosaurus and Gigantosaurus, you'd be forgiven for thinking that dinosaurs were the most massive animals ever to live. But if you're after gargantuan creatures, chartering a boat is better than building a time machine. The largest animals ever to exist are whales, topped off by the truly titanic blue whale. I remember, by the way, as a kid going to the, um, the Smithsonian um, Natural History Museum where there's a gigantic blue whale sculpture. Oh, I love that whale. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, in New York, they also have a similar sculpture, right? Um, 
maxing out, back to the article, maxing out at almost 100 feet long and 190 metric tons, the blue whale dwarfs the competition. What is a, now Matt, dumb American question, what is a metric ton? Oh, a thousand kilograms, so um, about 2,200 pounds. Ah. Okay. So pretty close to as a car, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Despite being well known for their enormous size, big bodies actually came into fashion relatively recently among whales. (laughs) Only 5 million to 10 million years ago, practically yesterday in geologic time, the first whales were the size of wolves and sea lions, a far cry from the submarine-sized behemoths that swim the seas today. A prehistoric boom of ocean nutrients and the freedom from gravity that water provides played a role in making whales so large, but the actual genetic changes underpinning their ballooning have remained a mystery. Um, I'll just just wrap up here with this little little section here. Uh, To examine how changes to whale DNA over time may have caused their gigantism, Mariana Neri, a biologist at the State University of Campinas in Brazil, and colleagues used a targeted approach. The results published Thursday in the journal Scientific Reports implicate genes that have functions in growth hormone and insulin pathways in causing the enormousness of whales. Dr. Neary and her team took advantage of the fact that humans have long studied the genes that affect body size in some of whales' closest relatives, like horses, sheep, and cows. Interesting, I did not think of horses, sheep, and cows as relatives of whales. When comparing nine of these body size-related genes across 19 whale species of different sizes, the researchers found evidence of positive natural selection in four genes. That is, there were changes in the DNA that correlated with a bigger body. So, um, Gabby, as the uh, resident chief biologist on the team of IF, um, what's, what's going on here? What's our, what should be our takeaway? And, and then we'll get to our, if we'll propose that if. Yeah. So what they sort of did in this is that they looked at the DNA of a bunch of different whales and then used, uh, knowledge of what genes come from like in cows or sheep or horses cause bigger size. Cause fortunately, you know, we domesticated and kind of cared about making those animals bigger. Um, for a very long time now. Um, and we're able to kind of figure out what genes were most likely candidates for, you know, why whales are bigger based on what we already know about size. Um, so there might be something that's maybe specific to whales, um, but whales did start out uh, before they became the whales we know today as little hoofed land uh, mammals, huh. uh, which is kind of a fun thing to talk about. Um, and I can talk about it more. <laughs> Maybe after we propose the if. Do we know um, what they but, look like? Or do we have fossils of those creatures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our sort of best reconstruction is, it's a little bit, I don't know, the face is a little bit weird. It's actually kind of easy to see how it became the face of a whale. It's sort of a very long mouth. Imagine huh. the face of like, like a possum on huh. the body of like a very small deer. And I mean, very, very small. Like <laughs> you've ever seen huh. like a dick dick, okay. like one of those. Yeah. Um, and they had little hooves. They lived near water and then eventually started swimming around more. Their body shape changed. They sort of became a little bit more otter-like. 
Um, so where they had a body that, you know, they could use to, to swim in sort of an up and down, sort of like a, what, what is that swimming uh, pattern? The butterfly? Oh, the butterfly, uh, sort yeah. Of that mm-hmm. kicking kind of yeah. motion. Yeah. Yeah. And then over time, their sort of body, their arms got, you know, closer towards their body, um, became more fin-like. Um, there was sort of a middle period, but it kind of looked like they had like little baby hands um, that were just sort of like flat and paddle-like, but not really fully there yet. Um, and then eventually, you know, they they did get to the whales that we see today um, with the, you know, fins on either side, really long, smooth, hairless bodies, um, and just overall really, I was going to say aerodynamic, hydrodynamic? Hydrodynamic. Hydrodynamic, yeah. There we go. Sounds right. Um. Cool. So, so they uh, they go in the water, and th- th- I guess um, the mystery. This is interesting. Help us. I- I- I'm curious. Just this one question, and then we'll get and then we'll get to the if part of this. Um, what what was it, it, so? If I'm uh, if as a non scientist and a non biologist, I see whales, and I see that they're gigantic. And I just assume, well, they just, uh, and then if you say, well, they began on land as small creatures, and then they went in the water, and they grew, and they got bigger. To me, that all just sort of makes sense evolutionary-wise. Oh, that's how evolution works. What, what is the mystery part of that um, that the scientists said? We don't understand. Like, why shouldn't they just, it's like, oh, they went in the water, and they could grow big because there's nothing holding them back in the water or whatever. Well, so part of the thing, right, is is not necessarily that there's nothing holding them back from size. Sure, yeah. water makes it a lot easier to become a gigantic creature, but right. not every whale is the size of a blue whale. Uh-huh. So why did uh, some get okay. really, really big? Mm-hmm. Um, so like orcas compare compare it. Well, no, they don't count the dolphins. Never mind. Um, uh-huh. Other whales are not that big. Um, it's essentially my sorry. I almost brought mm-hmm. dolphins into the mix. Um, <laughs> other whales are basically just not that big. Um, compared to the blue whale, the blue whale is outrageous. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. any whale you're staring at is going to be huge to us. Right. Um, so it's not just that, you know, there was this niche to fill for a large it, creature. Blue whales are, are baleen whales, I think, right? So they're, yeah. they're essentially like mm-hmm. grazers. But, you know, mm-hmm. there are there was a niche for a large creature, either as a grazer or to some extent with other whales, like sperm whales, um, some kind of hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it could be a smaller whale and stay close to the shore and have to be small. So it's sort of like a deep water byproduct because they're filling that ecological niche where they can become big. There's the food for them to become big. Um, but genetically, we still don't really know how that happens, right? You can say that it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. You could say that it makes sense for the bird who's, you know, bright white if it moves to an environment that's more forested it's going to die and so it makes sense for over time its generations to become more brown and mottled but it still doesn't mean that we know genetically what's happening behind behind the scenes and because this has happened you know this has already happened this experiment has already happened nature already did it over the course of 10 million years it's not like we can select from white birds to brown and mottled birds and just you know genetically sample them over time we have no paleo like we don't really have the the fossil whales we don't have every whale across that timeline to sample mm-hmm. and see how they got from point a to point b yeah. um so we can only sort of go from what we have today which is the whale and its close cousins and trying to figure out well what probably 
what what was the most likely candidate? Yeah, yeah. And so our our if today is um, what I'm going to just jump right in. The band is getting ready. When uh, uh, the, our band can play any kind of music, see, and uh, they are now preparing. They're pulling up their. They don't. I was going to say they're pulling up their sheet music, but they don't need the sheet music anymore because they've played the same piece ten thousand times already. And this is the fanfare that welcomes the if. Everybody, get ready. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Sneezing. What the if? Humans became gigantic <laughs> generation by generation, growing, growing. Will they go into the sea or will they stay on land? I guess it depends. The dinosaurs stayed on land. So what if humans became gigantic? This is a, quite a fun thing <laughs> to imagine. Our end product will be a human who is as big as a blue whale. There are some people who it's believe they are that big, at least in importance, perhaps. But uh, um, so, are Matt, these you, uh, these giant genes? Are they? Is there like a, a a size proportion associated with them? Is it like the gene? If you have the gene, you're plus five feet longer huh. or is it your double the size how do genes actually control size that way yeah so i think one thing that sort of comes up right is is in the way that you phrase that question so you we like to say if you have the gene uh, yeah. but mm -hmm. technically like all of them have the same genes it's just gene variants um we call those alleles in biology um, so there could be specific alleles, gene variants that do contribute to size. Um, but it's, it's more that we kind of know that these are pathways relating to size um, and that rewiring them or structuring them differently will start to affect things. Um, so, for example, they mention like some of the, the genes that they mention as being different in whales and likely to contribute to size. It's not that they have the same exact gene as a really, really big cow. Mm. It's that whatever that gene is doing to make the cow really big and the whale really big have converged. Um, uh. So that maybe that has a similar function. So there's some protein domain that if you modify it in a certain way, it interacts better with something else so that those animals develop bigger, um, you know, that like more on a molecular level. Um, but it's not necessarily like a you magically get a gene and you're just going to be gigantic. It's not like we could slap one of those blue whale genes in us and then grow 30 feet. Okay, oh, God, that that is hurt. kind of what I was hoping. <laughs> if you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is it, uh, again, my knowledge of genetics is very basic. Uh, is it that, do we say that the gene is turned on or turned off? Or when you say have the gene or don't have the gene, is it literally present in your DNA or not present in your DNA? Yeah, so we're kind of talking about two different things with it, right? Mm. So we all, I mean, I'm looking at all three of us on this podcast and everybody in the audience, with maybe a few rare exceptions, all have the same genes. 
somebody could maybe have a weird deletion somewhere. That's sometimes how you get uh. inborn errors of metabolism or just some genetic diseases. Or, you know, you just have a gene deletion in something weird and it doesn't really affect you because there's sometimes a lot of redundancy in the human body. Um, but generally, we all have the same genes. But we have different gene variants. So, for example, somebody with blue eyes is going to have different genes relate different gene variants relating to eye color than somebody else. But physically, they have all the genes to make eyes, um, or else they would have no eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, all all the things are there. Um, but there also are things about genes being turned on or activated, uh, or activated at, at different levels. Um, so, I don't think it's necessarily. I'm just kind of making up a gene here. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's a gene for hairiness that controls how hairy you are, huh. everybody could have it turned on unless you have no hair. Some people have just no hair mm. um, or varying degrees of it. Right. And again, I'm, I'm making up a gene. I think this is actually a thing that's controlled by like so many factors. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, everybody could have a different variant of that gene controlling for some different maximum level of hairiness. And then the degree to which that gene is turned on would probably show, you know, where you fall along that spectrum. You could become maximally very hairy, but at the same time, that gene isn't really expressed too well. So you're kind of in the middle. Um, something just, like that, maybe. What, 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 does the vari what does the variation mean? Like, what is, what is the gene made of? And is it that when you say variation, it's like there's some, it's a t slightly different chemical or it's a different shape or... Yeah, yeah. So essentially a little bit of both, right? Uh -huh. um, so what a gene is, is it's essentially just information. It's a, a log in a database. And your body reads that log, and it's actually instructions to create a protein. And what a protein is, it's a, in a sequence of amino acids. So it's essentially a chemical sequence that your body is synthesizing. And there will be individual variations from person to person in what things will code for in that amino acid position. Um, so for the most part, it will be mostly the same with maybe one or two small variations. And some of those variations actually change what it's coding for. Some don't. Um, but they can have big effects on the way that that protein folds. So the thing about a protein is it's not just this string of chemicals that sits there and just sort of floats around in a wiggly sort of way. Because it's a chemical, it can form bonds with itself. It can interact with itself. It can bind to itself. And so it creates this three-dimensional shape and structure. And much like how we make tools and shape tools specifically for what we're doing, the proteins and the way that they fold help them keep the shape that they need in order to do a thing. Um, to, say, bind with another protein, to pick up a chemical that we need, um, some kind of metabolite or something that we have to absorb and use somewhere else. Um, and so when you change the chemicals in there, you can inadvertently affect how it folds or how well it um, contacts other proteins. Uh, so if you want to know an example from my own PhD research, um, the gene that I look at, it was found in a study of people who have severe um, COVID-19 infections that oh. actually more people with severe COVID-19 infections have a mutation in this gene. So in the subsequent protein that gets produced, that kind of messes with the signal that's in the protein that takes it to the nucleus. So essentially, they have a protein that its signal is warped. It's, 
you know, it's got the label smeared off. And so the cell <laughs> looks at it and it doesn't know where it's supposed to go. Wow. So there's all of these different kind of signals and shapes built into the end product, the protein that a gene assembles or codes for. Um, it can get a little bit funkier too, just to kind of give you a hint of genetics being more complicated because genes can have different variants depending on how your body splices them together. Um, when you make the actual RNA that codes for the protein off the gene, there's sort of a little messenger that takes what's written in the database and runs it out to the cell to make the protein. Um, you can read different parts of the message and then use that to build a slightly different protein. So your body's capable of making a lot of different things based on the instructions that are in the genes. But generally speaking, the instructions are more or less the same with a couple of different variations or misspellings. Wow. All right. So yeah. when we say something and like so, that we have the gene for X, it's a huge oversimplification. Um, and is it just convenient for us to say yeah. that? So if you, okay. It's really convenient. So if you have like the gene for a disease, it's really that everybody kind of has that gene, but you have the gene variant that either causes the disease or makes you susceptible to that disease. Right. So uh, a human is born, the, the chain towards gigantism in humans begins. And so um, what might, in, in um, normal evolutionary terms, how long might this take to get to blue, size, blue whale-sized humans? This is definitely like millions of years in the right kind of situation. And it's also not going to be linear, right? Uh -huh. So we like to think that humans on one side, gigantic blue whale humans on the other. Right. But what we're likely going to have happen is there's going to be at the end of this, not just a blue whale human, there's going to be the like humpback whale human, there's uh -huh. going to be the right whale human. There's going to be humans along this gradient of sizes that might be entirely different species from each other by the end, depending on what different niches they wind up filling. So once you start that path to create something different, you're going to create a lot of something's different. And maybe one of them will be your end goal of super gigantic human. That's awesome. I just realized that there was, I was thinking that there's, there's a little bit of connection here to the new, the current Avatar movie, The Way of Water. Not The Way of the Water, I was corrected. Yep. The Way of Water, uh, which is quite, quite beautiful, actually. Totally fun, pretty stupid in some ways, <laughs> but, but, but uh, very enjoyable, very enjoyable, very beautiful. And a lot, a lot of, a lot of sort of whale or whale inspired. A lot of whales. Yeah. Huh. It's pretty yeah. cool. I, I thought it was very nice. You could feel James Cameron's love of the sea and the sea creatures and stuff in there, but it also has giant humans there. I think in, in this case, they're giant because the gravity is different on the planet. But, um, anyway, um, uh, I, I love this image of a, of a world with all these different. It, it sounds like a more more of a Marvel universe with <laughs> with these humpback uh, mm -hmm. whale good. size human or you know whatever humpback whale. Yeah, and presumably, like with the whales, we would speciate out pretty quickly, right? So the the humans yeah. that are ten mm -hmm. feet tall are going to have families with the, the humans that are similarly sized. And then the 40 foot tall humans are also going to have families with the 40 foot tall humans. So we'll, we'll start making subspecies quick. 
Yeah. And so some of this can also just be the product of geographic variation, right? So mm. when we talk about, say, progressing towards a gigantic size, it's not necessarily something that just happens randomly. There kind of needs to be some sort of selection pressure. So in evolution, selection pressure is a thing that's sort of driving a change. So in my earlier example of the white birds becoming sort of browned and mottled and more camouflage colored, it's because the whitest birds are getting eaten. And so if you remove the predators, they would probably stay to be perfectly normal white birds because there's nothing that's killing them and punishing them for being, you know, these absolutely stand out, completely uncamouflaged birds. Um, and so we would need something that sort of pushes us to be gigantic, something that would kind of disen kind of penalize people like me who are a whopping five foot no um, <laughs> from adding to the gene pool. Um, and so part of what I say about why that could be geographic of, you know, why we'd have 40 foot tall people maybe only really being with 40 foot tall people versus, you know, 10 foot tall people only being with 10 foot tall people is not necessarily that, you know, we've concocted some sort of height racism in the future, but that instead there's a reason why the people who are 40 feet tall are 40 feet tall where they are. Maybe that ecosystem can support them being that tall. Maybe uh -huh. that helps them. Maybe the trees there have suddenly gotten to be, you know, 80 feet tall. So then they mm -hmm. can shimmy up better because they're 40 feet tall where that's still impossible if you're a 10 foot tall person. Yeah. Um, so there has to be something that's kind of driving it and differences between what's tolerated height wise by the environment can change whatever the maximum is or whatever you're being pushed towards. Yeah. Now, um, and oh, go ahead, Matt. You were no, no. I was just, I was just pondering what, oh. what sort of selection pressure might there be for a forty-foot tall human? Um, as you say, I don't know. Something in the jungle canopy that's tasty for us to eat. Um, is it just that we can squash the smaller humans, and that helps? Um, hmm. So I. I, you know, admittedly, this is kind of where it gets fuzzy, right? Because, like, we could either go the way of the dinosaurs and stay on land, um, but there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in order for us to do that. Our bones are not built for that. Our hearts are not built to pump blood oh, yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of something zero, like less gravity, like the whales, is actually a pretty good point that under less gravity, we probably would. We could stretch out more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of thought that you know, zero gravity would make us taller over time if only in that it puts less pressure on our like spines to condense. Like I think more fluid fills in the gaps in your spine. So technically you're a little taller. Mm -hmm. um, not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something like that, either an adaptation to, to lower gravity maybe, or something that, you know, needing to get up to a food source that's high. Of course, part of the caveat is that we're humans, we're good climbers, we're good tool makers. Mm, so it yeah, has to be right. something that for some reason our climbing and our tool making is not capable of getting us to. Because being clever little monkeys, we've we've figured out a lot of ways around things that would just make other animals, you know, be selected to be taller or something like that um, by just making tools or the fact that we're generally pretty agile using that to, to kind of get around things. Yeah. Interesting. I think it could yeah. be that basketball becomes so important to society. <laughs> everything depends on it, you know. Well, I mean, that is actually kind of a good point, right? To bring up basketball. Because uh -huh. you're like, basketball players are really, really super tall, right? Mm. And it's not always on purpose, right? There are just some people who are really tall. Mm -hmm. But 
it's also a non-zero number of times that basketball players have married other really tall people, um, uh. other basketball players, and had kids that are also basketball player height. I think yeah, there's one right. guy, there's one basketball player who I think like, I think his parents were basketball players. They were each deliberately very tall. And then from a young age, it was like, go do basketball. Um, <laughs> because he was specifically very, very tall for it. Wow. Yeah. And yet, the vet, just to note, and, and I know very little about sports across the board, but in basketball in particular. However, the very, very, very tallest players aren't necessarily the best. They're often quite good, and they certainly become famous, you know, because they stand out. Uh-huh. Um, but the very, very, very best players aren't always the tallest. They, may, they But they're all tall in general, for sure. Um, so uh, w- one thing that the article mentioned was that uh, all kinds of, and, and you, you just alluded to it, that as you get a bigger and bigger body, uh, that actually causes problems. And one of the interesting things the article mentioned was that uh, because you have that many, because a blue whale, for instance, has so many more cells, that is more room for error or problems or diseases to crop up. Is that right? Yeah. So when you are a bigger organism, your cells have to divide a lot more to essentially make you. A blue whale has way more cells than we do physically because a blue whale is is much, much bigger. Um, Much the same reason that it's not necessarily nice to be super gigantic. Cells are generally around the same size uh, because after a certain point, it becomes harder to function just at a baseline level as a cell. Mm -hmm. Um, And with cancer, because you have more cell divisions, more cell divisions generally means more potential for problems. Cancer is a defect in cells and unregulated cell growth. So something happens the the gas pedal goes way on for those cells. They sort of lose a signal that tells them to stop growing along the way. They lose the brakes along the way. And then all of a sudden, that population of cells is growing out of control, begins to interfere with normal cellular processes. And in a certain way, you can kind of think of it as like a separate organism um, because it has its own kind of natural selection that goes on with it. Like the one, the cancers that can get the most nutrients for itself that can make sure it survives better are the ones that tend to, you know, survive through therapies or whatnot. Um, And so, you know, you'd think with all of the cell growth that has to happen in something as gigantic as a whale, that they would get cancer, right? And especially Mm. since they live really long, that, you know, something has to go wrong in that process somewhere. But what we see with really large animals is that it actually kind of doesn't. They're they're weirdly sort of cancer. I don't want to say cancer free because it's not necessarily they don't have it, but it's it's weirdly not as much of the same issue. And you sort of see this this kind of line where really small animals don't tend to get tumors that often because you know they tend to have short lifespans. They tend to die before they they get there. Kind of this intermediate size of humans and stuff like that. We we tend to get them because. You know, we live a long time and we also are large enough that we have enough cell divisions and whatnot. But then just this big question mark fall off for like whales and elephants, uh, where they really don't get it as much. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so, so is it, so, is it so possible so that, that the could giant be another. Yeah. 
Is it, is it possible no, that the giantism is related to that lack of cancerous growth in some way, some kind of linked gene thing? Is may, maybe the selection pressure for really huge humans is that they get less cancer? So I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think it's intrinsically that bigness makes you immune to cancer. Um, but it does seem like it's also selected for, right? Because think if you are an organism that's on its path to being big and you, natural selection is driving you foot to the to gas pedal to the floor, that you need to be a much, much bigger organism than you are. Well, the people, the 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 people, well, I can say people because we're people in the situation mm-hmm. that get cancer much earlier and die before they can reach that size or anything like that, that kind of knocks them out of the gene pool. That's a pretty uh, disadvantageous gene to have. But the ones that can sort of hold out the longest, ones that don't get cancer, can have a lot more of their tall children, that's a pretty beneficial thing. Um, And so for whales, they identified some genes that were sort of known as anti-cancer genes. They're admittedly not ones that I'm familiar with because I'm sort of only familiar with the the big names in (laughs) anti-cancer genes. Um, But in something like elephants, I think it's something like they have like seven copies of a gene called P53, uh, which is a really important molecular break system. It's kind of the way that the cell tells that something is wrong. There's tons of like little sensors and they all go run and tattle to P53 when something's wrong. Uh, in the cell. And then P53 just shuts everything down, takes a look around and is like, can I fix this? Uh, or do we have to kill ourselves? And then Goodness. it sounds a little insane, but cells usually tend to kill themselves if they're a danger to everything else. Huh. Um, because if, if they're a danger to the other cells, it's like, okay, we're part of the same organism. I have to die. Go save yourself. That kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so-, so that's sort of how the biology of that works. That's nice to know the cells are team players. You know. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could imagine somebody, uh, some announcement one day, you know, saying uh, from uh, NIH or wherever, um, we, we have a cure for cancer. And everybody goes, yes, tell us what it is. And, it, and they say, you have to grow 40 feet tall. So we're just going to start that evolutionary process now. We're going to inject you with uh, the 40-foot tall gene. Um, uh, Matt, you are... Um, but let's say you are the first one to reach 40 feet. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are born, and as you grow up, those around you say, wow, he's getting tall, you know. Yeah. And uh, they tell you to play basketball and, and all these kind of things. Uh, what do you do as the first 40-foot tall man? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have a lot of difficulties in my life. Um, finding clothes <laughs> that fit. Um, (laughs) finding an apartment that I can live in. I'm probably not going to live in New York city anymore. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure where I would go live. Actually, I guess I'd have to build my own place. So maybe I would become, Mm -hmm. um, a carpenter. Uh, although actually, you know, I would probably be in demand at construction sites because people could just hire me instead of a crane. Um, Yeah. yeah. So maybe I'd get to build my own place. Um, uh, as part of that, that could be pretty cool. That could be handy. Um, and of course, given our, if one of my main concerns is going to be passing on my genes, um, so that the next generation can get a little bit bigger, I suspect dating is going to be difficult. Um, you know, on, on Tinder when, you know, women say nobody (laughs) under six feet, I mean, I would pass that test, but, um, I don't think they'd be very happy 
with the other extreme. I yeah, I I don't know. I'll, I, my inclination is to say you'd be great because as someone who is five foot four, uh, I find that the tall guys you know get all the perks. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 40 feet. Well, the, the interesting thing is that uh, in what uh, denominations isn't the right thing, but what, you know, what is the, 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 the million, the, the process where it takes millions of years, each generation is only very slightly taller than the previous generation, right? So mm-hmm. in, in that scenario, Matt, mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't be that much taller than everybody else. But in the more fanciful and more fun and more ridiculous if scenario where we grow rapidly, clearly that would be, yeah, if you went right from 6 to 40. Um, well, uh, that's gigantism. Like King Kong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. gigantism is a thing. So there are people who are like nine feet tall uh, because right. it, it's, it's essentially abnormal pituitary glands like essentially way 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 too much growth hormone uh-huh. before your bones have kind of like fused when you're a kid and like well not fused, but like growth plates have sealed and you're like you are done growing uh-huh. um because you can get people who are very tall but the problem is because the rest of your biology is not set up to be a nine foot tall person there's a lot of problems hmm. yeah. so if matt's the only 40 foot tall person and everybody else is like six to ten feet matt Matt's going to have some problems. But if everybody else is like 38 feet and he's just like 40 feet and just, you know, slightly ducking under doorways and everybody's in awe of him, he'll be fine. Yeah, right, that's reassuring. So let's yeah. imagine, as I always love to, yeah, as I always love to do as we, as we round out to the end of the, the show here, we push the pedal to the metal. Um, let's say we, 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 it was the slow evolutionary process. So the entire human species, human race, uh, is um, around 40 feet tall. What does the world look like? As you mentioned, apartments well, apartments are four times, the ceilings are four times higher than they are now, mm-hmm. for one thing. Yeah, I mean, our, our planet's carrying capacity for uh-huh. us changes pretty fundamentally because you can't fit the same number of billion 40-foot tall people without completely, you know, paving over most of the Earth to make room for us. Yeah, um, right. So... My bet is, you know, much like the blue whales, we're going to become either maybe more solitary or just much smaller communities. Uh, we're probably going to maybe be a little bit more spread out from each other because it's going to be kind of hard uh, yeah. to get enough mm-hmm. food for 40 feet tall people. We might become a little less active. Um, so one thing that you see in very large animals is that, you know, they move a little bit slower. Uh, they spend more time maybe chilling out or just kind of conserving energy. Um if we are very big, depending on what our food sources is, we might need to kind of eat constantly. Uh-huh. So some big animals are sort yeah. of just kind of constant grazers because they have to sort of be putting calories in their mouth no matter what. And especially if it's plant matter, it might not always be the most calorically dense. Um, so they're just kind of constantly eating. We might become the munchiest 40-foot <laughs> tall people on Earth, even though there might be, you know, like 20 of us. Um, so it's going to be very, very, very different. Also, the buildings would be big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's going to cause some problems, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Gabby, for this um, uh, spectacular adventure. I, I feel taller already. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I might not even climb up on the countertops today. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Anything, uh, anything coming up uh, that you guys would like to plug? C- coming up, haha, at the 45-foot <laughs> level. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Do you want to plug, Matt? And- um, I'll be speaking at the American Association for the Advancement of Science on March 5th. Um, and I think I'll be doing that virtually if anybody wants to attend that. Oh, awesome. So that's the AAIS. And the topic is? Um, the importance of history for doing science. Oh, very good cool. topic. I'd love to tune in on that. Tune into that. Uh, Gabby, anything coming up for you? Uh, the Illuminati won't let me say. Uh, I'm kidding. It's actually right. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Put my hand down, doing some science. Nothing, exactly. uh, nothing evocative to report. That was very good. That was like a George Santos answer. <laughs> God. Fanciful congressman we have. Um, uh, so thank you all for listening. And of course, a huge thank you goes out to our Patreon listeners for uh, helping this show happen. Uh, Patreon.com slash what the if you can find out all about our uh, membership program and the cool gifts you can get for signing up. Um, and you also get bonus content every week. Uh, there's a you know, longer discussion, longer versions of the episodes, uh, only for Patreon listeners. So Patreon.com slash what the if you want to just find out more about the show, also whatthef.com. Check it out. Um, thank you all for listening. And uh, Matt, will you help us um, uh, with our closing ritual? What, uh, what yeah. So we, uh, we, we achieve uh, 45 feet. That's right. So we sort of reflect on um, uh, what, we, what we have created. Um, so we are walking down the street, 40 feet tall, as most people are. We turn the corner and suddenly see a bizarre genetic throwback of a human being who is only five feet tall. And in terror, we shout, What the Thank you all for listening, tall and small. See you next week. <laughs>